My favorite. It's Judd's Hockey Show. It is Judd's Hockey Show. As usual, when we record on Wednesdays, I'm joined by Jesse Pierce, Bar Down Beauty's Fame. Great podcast uh, that she does with Kristen Kroll. And also NHL.com, the uh, beat writer for the wild. Check out Jesse's stuff again, NHL.com. And, of course, Declan Goff, co-host of the show as well. We are at full strength. That's debatable today. And, Jesse, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you just got back from practice. The Wild coming off a 2-2 two and two trip that uh, got off to a good start in Calgary. They lost a couple of games, really faced adversity for the first time under John Hines, and then came back and shut out the Seattle Kraken. Uh, your observations at practice, where do things stand with a team that, as we record this right now, is only four points out of a playoff spot after being seven out when Dean Evison was fired. Uh, you know, little tweaks continue to be made. We actually asked John Hines that now that he's seven games in, he's gotten to know this team, gotten a feel for this team. Um, he made tweaks today. The focus was on the rush defense and fixing kind of some of those situations. Jared Spurgeon, MIA, just a maintenance day. He will be back tomorrow. But no line changes either, which I find good and bad. I mean, certainly the Minnesota Wild looked okay in Seattle. Um, <clears throat> I just... The lines are so different, Judd. We've talked forever about having these different lines. Eric Sinek, Boldy, and Kaprizov. Oh, we love them. See, we love all this, yeah. though. I I yeah. was curious about the defense with Middleton and Faber together. Obviously, Jonas Brodeen week to week with a what I believe is a broken wrist. Um, yeah. that uh, It's upper body. What are you talking about? Nobody yeah. saw that clip last night of him with a cast on his hand. I had a friend who was at the dinner, too, and she's like, yeah, surgery on Monday, serving us dinner on Tuesday. I was like, did he have surgery now? Like, I didn't <laughs> didn't realize that, but maybe that's the case. Again, I don't know. I'm Possible speculation, possible sources. But, yeah, uh, back to the original question, rather than me meandering all around this conversation. Uh, John Hines, I think, is, is feeling more comfortable with the team, and he's getting to know those guys. Obviously, first things first, Matt Boldy playing much better. Now you need to get Kirill going as well and marcus johansson since we're calling people out i'd like to call out jojo too but yeah i'm excited it should be a good game calgary is kind of in a similar situation as minnesota as far as points go and every game is going to count for minnesota they put themselves behind the eight ball they're going to have to truly try to get those wins in every game from here on out and calgary is the first uh up to bat at home followed by vancouver on saturday yeah, it certainly wasn't a death sentence. You can't make the playoffs just by math, even though history says, you know, if you're not in the top eight bubble around Turkey Day that, you know, it's hard to kind of climb yourself back in. But, I mean, if you start winning games, obviously that will just erase everything and you can get yourself back in. But to Jess's point, I think, and maybe this is our, our bigger discussion today, is the lines just do look completely different. Um, it's probably a good thing, too. I mean, they had to do something different. Dean was obviously very set in his ways, and, you know, to a degree that worked for him for a long time, and maybe to a degree it also got him fired. So what can the Wild make now with these changes that John Hines has made, and can these changes lead to more offense, more consistency? You know, I think we're starting to see the better versions and the versions that you expect of Kirill and Boldy, et cetera, but you need to obviously see long, sustained moments of success and not just, you know, a couple blips on the radar. I think the one thing that we saw, um, starting with the juggling of the lines coming off the loss to the Oilers on Friday for the Seattle game that was the headline move was Kaprizov and Zuccarello were split up BFFs for life were split up and the world didn't end the sun came up <laughs> um and and I actually thought now Kaprizov didn't score a five on five goal and I don't think he scored a goal in that game but I actually thought Jesse that um Boldy and Kaprizov looked really good you know 
it this this shouldn't be a big conversation in 2023 about oh my god lines got split up but you know dean that was one pairing that he just never broke up or if he did it was for like a period um what's your takeaway of that and and it looked to me like after a couple of sort of lethargic games the kaprizov and zuccarello both thrived without being together which i love to see yeah, I mean, I think they realize where they're both at in their game, too. And Zuccarello has had a really good start to the season. Again, he continues to defy his age. The only thing I question about that top line, because I agree, I think I've always sided with you where I'd love to see Kaprizov and Zuccarello separated, but we all knew under Dean that was just never going to be the case. It's Jewel Eriksnack, who I adore. I think he is one of the best centers for your Minnesota Wild. But I think Marco Rossi up there with Matt Boldy just makes a little bit more sense to me. I understand the move. I think they're trying to get Marco Rossi to now help Marcus Johansson get going. And Marcus Johansson's going to have to force to uh, speed up his game a little bit, be a little bit quicker in his decision-making while playing with Rossi and Zuccarello. But that's kind of my bigger question. Just because Jewel doesn't quite fit. He's probably more along the lines of the Ryan Hartman center position, right? That we had discussed where it's that physicality, that front net or net front presence, excuse me. Um, But you're right. It it's, it's something anyway. It's at least something. Again, it's not like the Wild had everything figured out even when they were on that four-game winning streak. It wasn't like, magically, we're going to go win all these games. Like you, right. you, He responded to a loss, which I think is something we never saw Dean do, right? He, you know, John Hines said, hey, that didn't work. Let's try something new, which is already a very positive thing. I know Judd certainly loves that. I really liked the, the fact, too, that the Rossi move. So I, I tend to side with what you j- just said. Like, I think I would would have that line be, in a perfect world, Rossi, Boldy, Kaprizov. But what I liked about it was it didn't feel like it was, and, and I think it, it was reported in retrospect, Rossi got sick on the trip and was actually sick for the games against the Canucks and Oilers. But what I loved about it was it didn't feel, Dex, like Hines was demoting him. Like, he didn't send him to mm-hmm. the third or fourth line. You're not going to play as much, kid. So it It felt like, okay, you juggled lines, but you still showed enough respect to Rossi where he is on a viable line now. It always felt like Dean kicked kicked Marco down because it was Marco's fault or something. This felt like, uh, let's just juggle the top six. It worked out well, but I do agree with Jesse. I mean, I think that, that Joel Erickson Eck is a superior talent to Hartman, but I hear you on that as well as far as the skill goes. Uh, but I like the fact, Dex, that they don't seem to be, uh, with John Hines, messing around with R- Rossi as much. It feels like it's an acknowledgement to, hey, kid, you are a top six guy. Yeah, and, and they should be rewarding him with that and not really, you know, kind of stamping or stomping, I should say, on his confidence. But you have to get, yeah, Mojo going, who's been slow. Marcus, Zuccar- Marcus Zuccarello. Matt Zuccarello has been obviously still incredible this season. Actually, I, I do want to see an extended look of Eck on this top line. Um, to Jess's point, yes, he has more of you know grinding and checking and things that don't really show up on goals assists all the time, but he's obviously a more talented player and probably would get rewarded with more points than what Ryan Hartman provides when he's in the middle of those two as well. So that's why I like to I want to see this for extended look. You know, don't break this up after two periods. If things aren't looking, I actually really want to see what Eck can do with Kaprizov and Boldy. And, you know, you do have a lot of your, you know, top playmakers on that top line. So I understand where you want to spread some of the wealth around, but the Wild are still like kind of trying to find so much consistency with their stars and Kaprizov and Boldy that I do think it's worth giving Eck an extended look. And 
he has more pedigree and more chops to probably be on a top line. Ryan Hartman, uh, maybe to no fault of his own, is a fourth line winger this, you know, going into this game. And he's fine there. Uh, but that's where, again, I, I never really understood that contract extension and the expectation for him because he that's where he should be and not between, you know, your two best playmakers in Kaprizov, Zuccarello, or Kaprizov, Boldy. Jesse, your thoughts Nailed on that? It. No, I mean, I, I think you're right. I, I agree. It's not that I necessarily hate Jewel Eriksenek, and I, you're right. I think he will thrive there. He is, I believe, last I checked, still the leading scorer for the Minnesota Wild, too, because he just has that knack. He has that presence around him. Um, but, yeah, I just I kind I liked Marco and Kaprizov. That's what we've been wanting. We've been clamoring for it. I liked I having yeah. it. But I do. I mean, more importantly, I do like that John Hines is giving different things a shot. I mean, ultimately, I think that's it. But uh, Marcus Johansson is a player that I think we've let slide a bit. I know a lot uh, of people yeah. have been criticizing all these other forwards. And it's kind of like, well, remember last year when we were all on board the JoJo train and yep. we thought he could do this? And he's just completely regressed. Um Again, it could be no skin off our back because he's a free agent, I believe, after this year anyway. But it's kind of like it's concerning because he is and should be a top six forward more than Freddie Goudreau, more than Ryan Hartman, more than Marcus Foligno. Do him. Do you know, like he is a guy that should be able to play that role. And for whatever reason, he's not. So I think we need to kind of look and figure out what's going on there. And maybe that is what John Hines is doing by placing these two skilled players in Zuccarello and Rossi with him. So Foligno, Hartman. And Zuccarello got extensions, and, and like we can de- debate those or say that they're great. Um, but I don't, I think the one thing that we would say about those three guys is they're always working, like it's not a lack of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with Dex, I think Hartman, and, and it looks like Heinz gets this, is a bottom six guy, so like he can be on your team. I have no problem with that, but I mean, he is a bottom six guy. Where, where I think you're right about Johansson and criticizing him. Does he always work? Like I, this I'm concerned because he came here with no contract for the 2023-24 season and worked his ass off. Like that was impressive. Got traded here. It's like this is a different guy. Well, he was hurt last time he played here. Oh, okay, you know. But if this is what you're going to get, sign him. So they do. I question him. I question his. I question his desire. He feels like very much like a guy who got a contract, and I know it's not long term, but I mean. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with this statement. He feels to me like he has backslid into being the exact guy that he was here the first time, which yes, he got banged up, but he was a bust. Um, And I wonder if we, if we were giving him too much of a break last spring by saying, Oh, he was hurt when it feels like now you sort of got taken. Cause I, I do not see enough from him consistently to say, I think he's still working hard. He's struggling. I see a guy who needs to just flat out to what Jesse's saying, do more Declan. Yeah, and, and he has a no trade clause through next season. So, I mean, he's making $2 million. Like, if he continues to play this bad, and I know people don't want to hear this, like, you could buy him out if you want to save a couple bucks. Like, that's that's on the table. But he has a no trade clause, which, again, the, the Judd's favorite thing uh, in hockey, no trade clauses, GM's handing him out like candy. Um, don't get that either. And Mojo just doesn't, in my opinion, do anything exceptionally well. Uh, his... Offense has kind of fallen off. His finishing touch isn't what it used to be when he was with the Capitals. And he definitely played better in the in the sample size we saw when he was acquired at the trade deadline last season than he did in the full season in his first tenure. Um, but yeah, in general, he's been pretty much a replacement level type of player. And luckily, yeah, the $2 million, like that's where I don't get too hung up on this, but they kind of need him though still to obviously be 
a better player than that. It's like they, they got him for $2 million because it was, oh, if you get if you get that guy that you saw from the post-trade deadline at the end of the season, that's a steal. Well, now he's regressed even further back. And I mean, like, would it would it be the worst thing in the world if you healthy scratched him for a game? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, we can, can, we can think about the lineup combinations and who you want to bring in without him. But right. would it be the worst thing if you were without Marcus Johansson, a healthy scratch or with or God forbid, an injury? I think you can, can afford, afford it to? if you put Broads on LTIR, then you can make okay. a recall for like Vinny or Kara, or I think just those two players kind of come to mind as far as forwards go. Gotcha. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I'm always hesitant to ever criticize a player's work ethic, but there is a disinterest. There's kind of this disengagement, it seems, because it's not like this is the first time he's being put with skilled players. They put him back with Boldy and Goudreau, the, the line that had chemistry last year, and it does. It just feels... Again, we've said this about so many players. It feels off. It just feels you're right. And I think that's a good point, Declan. I hadn't considered that. Like, he's not working for a contract. He's not out there improving. So it's it's curious. It makes you wonder and it makes you explore that narrative the longer that he continues to perform or not perform because, again, they need him to be effective on that second line because he is, when you look at the, the list of players, is probably one of the better players that should be performing better than he is. I'd be very close to it at the very least demoting him to a bottom six guy like mm-hmm. I, I i there's guys that are that work harder and like it that's my thing is he there are times because he's got skill you can see it and there are times when he show, he sort of shows it and you're like oh okay nice play and then there's times where it's like dude what are you doing um on kaprizov who we touched on briefly he's now played 26 games okay he has eight goals three even strength goals and his shooting percentage is 9.5%. Starting with you, Jesse, how much do you put on, on what Dean talked about after he, he, of course, got whacked? After he was fired, Dean said, yeah, the guy was hurt against the Jets uh, last year. That's still playing a, a role. How much do we put on on Kirill not performing statistically like Kirill uh, because of injury? And how much else could be at play here? Because we're almost to Christmas here right now. And and there are times where I see him and he sort of looks like Kirill again, but there's times where he just does not. And some of the things that, that made him so special are just not consistently there. What's your concern at this point, at least for this season, that the guy that we ordinarily see and know is not going to come back? I think it is time to maybe really hover over that panic button with Kirill Kaprizov. I think there is validity to what Dean Evson said as far as his edge work and his skating is missing. Because again, I think I've mentioned this a couple times now. I'm a little, at first I was a little less concerned about the lack of production. We've seen him do this. He started off last year terribly and and the fans recognize that, right? But we are in mid-December right now and he has eight goals. That is a problem. In addition to not scoring now by this point, he also hasn't been skating. He's looking a little bit more like himself. I think each game I've seen a smidge more. But that that could be true because his offseason was so dramatically different than what he's used to. He wasn't skating like he was normally used to. He wasn't getting the workouts in that he did because of maybe that hampered injury. Um, but there's still something more. It just still feels like it can't be necessarily that. And Kirill Kaprizov is such a tough son of a gun that he's not going to come out and say like, yes, this has been bothering me or yes, this is the problem, whatever. Um, But you've given him enough kind of passes enough of, 
oh, it's just probably this. Oh, Kirill will get going. And he hasn't. So now it is incredibly concerning. Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers were struggling. Yeah. McDavid didn't. You know, you look at that's how superstars are. And I know people hate to question, is he a superstar or is he a star? I think he is performing like maybe a star would, not a superstar. Because no matter what it is, you figure out how to get out of it. No matter how many losses your team is suffering, you're still leading them in some sort of positive way. Um, and Kirill just unfortunately has not found that switch yet. And again, a lot of, you know, Matt Boldy, we talked about resurged after Dean Evson was let go. And this hasn't changed Kirill either. So it's incredibly concerning. Like I said, hovering, I won't press it yet, but I'm real darn close. So I'll actually take kind of the opposite approach here. So I, I think Kirill, although off to a, a bad start and yeah, not playing at a superstar level, I think there is trends here where maybe an explosion or, you know, him getting back to the player that he used to be, you know, Judd mentions his shooting percentage criminally low at 9%, um, a guy who shoots the puck a ton and a guy who's a high end goal scorer. If you shoot that much and you're a high end goal scorer, you can have a balloon shooting a percentage that's over league average, which is what Kirill has had uh, every year. He's been the NHL this year. It's obviously the opposite. There's been some unluckiness to his shooting percentage. There's been some unluckiness to his finishing ability. Um, and I think in general, you're probably going to start seeing him, maybe pick up his game here. If if he doesn't hit the panic button, like it, it, I, I can see a stretch here between now and the end of the year, basically. So the next two and a half weeks where he does light things up. And then if he does that, the wild are probably winning more games. We're not going to be panicking over Kirill Kaprizov. I'm not ready to go full on panic yet, but I think there's signs and trends where things are starting to pick up, pick up a little bit here. And I know he's getting new line mates and whatnot, but if he starts to trend back in the next right direction over here in the next couple of weeks, I can see us obviously putting that panic button aside and, you know, throwing out the dollar bills, basically. I liked how he, he looked with Boldy on Sunday. Now the Kraken are bad. So like that, that does play a role here. Um, but here's where I'm concerned. So unlike Johansson, nobody's questioning him. Like, like you don't watch him and say, well, he doesn't look like he's trying hard. Right. Like there's no, that doesn't, enter the equation. And I guess my question is this, Jesse, to your point. Um, okay. So he spent the summer recovering, which does take a toll. Like, like those guys, Kirill especially works his ass off, right? Dry land training and all that. So if you can't do that, that's going to impact your season. But I guess what I don't know at this point in time, because we do see some of this coming back slowly is is was this rustiness because this seems like a long time if it's rustiness or is he still just not well enough like can he not do things he can ordinarily do and you see him try and do some things but the one thing that's always stood out to me about him is he is at his best he's a superstar who plays like a fourth line guy and it's like oh my god that work ethic is unbelievable there's just some things he doesn't and i don't think he can do and I don't know if it's coming back. That's that's my thing. Like if if it's coming back in like let's say February or something, then Declan's right. It, it's going to click. Like he's not going to be like oh, I'm still slumping. But if he just flat out needed more time, and he still can't edge like he can edge, and he still can't go into the corners because I mean he did play up until now. He has played with a reckless abandon of oh my god, he is working way more than a lot of superstars work. So. That's my question, and unfortunately, I don't, I can't pinpoint that. But I mean, there is a, there is a chance that he's just going to be a good player for a year and need another summer to recover. Um, but it is, it's, it's 
concerning because I don't think you can make any type of playoff splash if you do make the playoffs with Kirill playing like this. I think it becomes really, really tough. I mean, you've had, I don't want to say passengers, but they've been passengers because Kirill Kaprizov has been able to write the train. I looked up last year's stats, guys. He had 17 goals by this point. Uh, He went through November with a quick scoreless streak and then came out of November and went on a seven-game scoring streak. So it is concerning. It is very uncharacteristic. You can look back and say he's had slow starts, but he is underproducing as of right now. And the Minnesota Wild can't afford another player that's just good. You know what I mean? Like, they just, it's not going to help. Um, you know, and I and I know Kirill Kaprizov is getting to know him through the media. He's hard on himself, right? You know that he doesn't yeah. want to be performing like this, but you do wonder if that mentality is also holding him back a little bit because he's just so frustrated. But you haven't really seen that. I I have confidence in Kirill in getting out, but the question is, what does that even look like? Is getting out, as you'd mentioned, Judd, going to be just good enough? I don't know that Kirill can reach the level that we need him to. Uh, this season because again as we're already approaching the midpoint of December here and he hasn't found it I don't know what else can be done so Dex with Krill uh, sore hurting perhaps where do you think he could go to get all these problems taken care of and return to the superstar that we all know you can go to Summit Orthopedics, okay? Uh-huh. SummitOrtho.com. There's a bunch of locations in the metro and greater Minnesota area. You know, whether those upper body, lower body, you want to specify those injuries of Summit Orthopedics. You know, I, I guess you, you could don't know go in. About- you could go in and say my <laughs> lower body hurts, and you know, they'll have probably a good idea of where that pain is coming from. But maybe you can be transparent with your uh, with, with with your fellow physicians at Summit Orthopedics. You can go to Summit Ortho. Dot com Again, a lot of locations in the metro and greater Minnesota. Go to summitortho.com to learn more. Okay, on Brodeen, um, uh, Hockey Night in Canada speculated that it was going to be a month. Uh, it looks like he definitely, well, he, he's got what, Jess? Pr- probably a broken wrist or his yeah, wrist is Yeah, based hurt. on just those photos we saw last yeah. night, right? Like, it looks yes. like it's a wrist situation. And I, I saw a quote from The Road Trip that um, Philip Gustafson is quoted as saying something about him being fixed up, which confirms what you're saying, which is he definitely probably had some type of surgical procedure to reset a bone or so- something like that. Uh, starting with you, Jesse, what is the what is the expectation for what this blue line can do without a guy who is absolutely, in in my opinion, I think he's the second best defenseman mm-hmm. on this team right right now, and the best, Brock Faber. But, yeah. but what's your thought ab- about, you know, a guy like this who absolutely is key and eats up a ton of ice time, how they're going to try and get by without him? You know, shockingly, Middleton did pretty well with Brock Faber in that last game that we saw. I did not hate that pairing, which is never a pairing I thought I would envision in my life. My bigger concern is without Brodeen, it's more John Merrill and it's more Alex Goligoski. And unfortunately, that's just the case. And I, I can't stand it. I cannot. I can't have this anymore. I can't do it. I can't watch it anymore. Um, you know, I had talked at length at the beginning of the year that, yes, Jared Spurgeon's return to the ice would be helpful, but it wasn't going to change anything. Rodine will be helpful when he comes back. And so missing him is going to be incredibly hard. Again, uh, Minnesota weathering the storm against a pretty bad Seattle team. But defensively, I you have Brock Faber back there who is performing at 110% each and every night, which again, the pro- Brock Faber has been your best defenseman all season long without question. He's just that good and it's, it's fun to watch. But 
I just hate having a Merrill. Uh, Zach Bogosian is going to have to step up. I'm excited. I saw quite a bit out of him in his first return uh, mm-hmm. after his injury. So there's that. But it is. It's going to be a problem. I I just think it's especially I'm really looking at that Saturday game against Vancouver. Again, such a high octane offense that just moves. Um, their biggest asset is going to be the offense keeping the puck more than having it back in the defense. You know, not to make excuses for them, but I mean, when you go what they were without Jared Spurgeon for 10, 12 games, they're going to be without Jonas Brodeen for probably a similar timeline. Like, all right, you remove two of your, at least on paper, and I'll exclude Brock Faber just for the sake of this argument here, just for a second. You know, you remove two of your top three defensemen for more than 50% of the season. And then you have to play, yeah, the Goligoskis for a while. And Bogosian's going to have to step up and play more minutes. Like, this team is built on that blue line. And that's how they've been able to win so many games in the regular season and accumulate so many points because they've had pretty much the same steady blue line for 10 years uh, with those with at least Brodeen and Spurgeon anchoring the majority of that. Well, you remove one of those two cogs, whether they're together, split up, or just not on the ice together, comes pretty difficult to win games. And unfortunately, you know, you can survive with a Goligoski on the third pairing when Spurgeon, when Brodeen, when Faber are all on the ice and they're playing well. But now you're going to have to have those guys who are borderline roster guys at best having to play significant minutes. And that makes a problem. That is that absolutely is where the problem arises here. And Brock Faber, yeah, phenomenal, which is great. Like he has stepped up to the degree where it softens the blow of losing a Brodeen or a Spurgeon. But when you don't have those three together on the ice, like I, I, I'm not an excuse police type of guy. That's not really our, our MO on this podcast, but it, it is obviously very difficult to win a lot of hockey games when you're without one of those two guys for the majority of the season. So Jesse, when does uh, Brodeen go on LTIR and when do we see the kids? Like I'd rather see the kids that can skate. There, there's options there. Um, it feels like Goligoski and Merrill playing is, is to your point, banging your head against the wall. So I would take it that we're going to see a roster move eventually. Brodeen, uh, once he's transferred to the long-term IR, you gain some cap relief, and then it makes sense to make a, a call up and actually have a younger guy, third pairing guy, but probably a superior skater to what Merrill and Goligoski give you right now. I wouldn't be surprised if something happens this afternoon or even tomorrow morning because they do have that game. I believe they still can recall Dakota Mermis or a Damon Hunt without having to put bros on LTIR. Um, yeah. I imagine they'll evaluate that, but it, sooner rather than later. You have, again, as we had mentioned, you have to win these games. I'm not going to call them necessarily must wins, but you need these points and you want to perform well, especially with these next two games at home. The poor St. Paul fans have not seen a whole lot of good hockey yet this year. Um, so I imagine you want to look at making that move. I find it odd that it takes them so long management to move these guys to LTIR. It took them a while to do that with Spurgeon and just kind of admit what we all know. I think maybe with Brodeen, it's been documented already that, yes, it is a severe injury. Yes, he is going to miss time, so maybe it'll take a little less of concealment from Bill Guerin. But, yeah, I mean, I think you're going to get for sure young defensemen up here before tomorrow, maybe get another one, especially as they hit the road against Pittsburgh and Boston next week. That's a cap problem too, right? Though I, mm-hmm. I think if you, I think what you transfer a guy to LTIR, you start to lose cap space because it's like that daily accruing. It's really confusing. No, I think you gain it. Like if you put the player on LTIR, that's how you, re- yeah, like you mm-hmm. recapture some of that. Like yeah, that's, so you can call yeah. guys up. So you can call but, them up. But I'm saying like, like when they made the Ryan O'Reilly and Dmitry Orlov trades, 
they they had accrued on a daily basis. So it, it's it's confusing as hell. Like yeah, usually Broads on LTIR the whole time and make a huge move and then have them come back because cap goes away come playoff time. That's a very good point. Ryan O'Reilly's jersey <laughs> should be retired. Should. If you're gonna if you're gonna retire Koivu's jersey, Ryan O'Reilly, Declan's right. Best center this franchise has ever <laughs> had. Okay, last question. Um, so so far, uh, last night Craig Berube of the Blues fired his coach after a loss to Detroit. We've now had Jay Woodcroft fired. Dino, of course, by the Wild was fired. Craig Berube was fired. Here's my question: because there's going to be more. Do you guys at all think the Wild will, or do you regret the fact that they gave John Hines an immediate multi-year contract? Because the market is going to be flooded with coaches who have had some success and and it it's a shelf life game i mean john hines time will expire as well and i do do mean behind the bench not not in this world because we're all going to die so i'm not trying to be a downer on john hines but my point is do you think start with you declan do you regret that the wild didn't bring in an interim coach so they could explore the market let's just say after the season on a potential head coach that they might have liked more than john hines so I, I will say that I re- I don't agree with just giving him the job without an interim label. I do agree on that. Like, I, I would rather have seen an interim label. You assess, and then if you want to give Hines, you know, basically what they did with Evison, if you want to give uh, Hines the full-time job in the offseason, go for it. In terms of these just recyclable, hilarious NHL coaches that just, they find work, they find jobs, you know, I'm not upset that the Wild don't have a shot at getting the St. Louis Blues coach. I would like to see, I would have liked to see, I should say, Bill Guerin doing extensive search of guys that aren't the recyclables, you know, like that aren't the throwaway guys that just bounce around from team to team. John Hines now on his third team. Like, I would have rather seen them take that approach. In terms of the right now, the people that are like available or the common names, the names that have been fired, none of them excite me. So like, I'm not upset about that. I would just like to see this league try out new coaches. Like I know the Blackhawks are struggling, but they're trying out a new head coach. They're trying out someone that isn't just recycled throughout the league. Um, I think the NHL needs a, like a big facelift in that department. So I would have preferred the interim label assess and figure out if you want to give them the job or have an open search. But in terms of like the coaches that are available right now that have been fired, no, like none of them interest me. Yes, I needed the interim label. I tried to beg Billy to tell me this was an interim situation, and he wouldn't. He's like, no, we signed him. We kept it. Like, are we sure for how long? How long did we do this? Um, uh, Craig Berube intimidates the hell out of me. I have interviewed him a number of times uh, as the writer for NHL.com. So would I want him here? Yes and no. It shocked me that St. Louis got him. They absolutely adored Chief, as they referred to him. The players loved him, Braden That's Shen. I know, right? Like, they just... They love the guy, and so it yep. really kind of surprised me. Not to mention because a lot of what St. Louis's problems are are worse than even Minnesota's because that's the roster Doug Armstrong has built, and it is not a very good roster. Um, but 100% agree with Declan, too. It's the same guys over and over in a hat. And some of them, I think, I do adore seeing continue to bounce around. Peter Laviolette is my coach for life. I just think he, I would have loved to have him here in Minnesota, and they could have had him here if they made this Dean decision before uh before the season started but no they didn't they didn't do that um john hines it'll be fine but yeah i just i don't have the faith that he can push this team to where it needs to be under contract so 
I don't know what the answer is. I don't like it. I want new things, but I hockey will never do that for us. That's just the way that the hockey world is. It's always going to be the same old new, same old people. I think the only guy who's go- going to intrigue me, because uh, Hackstall, who I would not give a job to, is almost certainly going to be fired by the Kraken. DJ Smith, it'll probably take till after the season, the Sens coach, he's probably out. I also wouldn't give him a job. The only one that intrigues me is Mike Sullivan, because I think Pittsburgh's probably going mm-hmm. to fire him. And I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he, again, has, has you know, had a, a shelf life. I mean, Laviolette is the poster child. He will be fired by, I guarantee you, he'll he'll be gone in three years. Because this is what always happens. He always gets a spark. He's really good. And then players tune him out. Um, but, yeah, I... I don't, here's the question I have, and I think it's the question that we, we would then have to consider. My guess is if Billy had called up John Hines and said, come in here and coach this team interim, John Hines says no, because because it sounds like, in fact, I think just you shared this story, that Billy gave, Billy and Dean gave John Hines the chance to be an assistant for Dean to start the season. And John Hines like, no, I'm a head coach. So I guess the question then spur, uh, goes off to, would you have, punted on john hines if he told you to bleep off but um yeah i i don't know because my it's question be is is hines the one that said right? yes i mean how do we know that that was his first call anyway too right like he might yeah. have asked others and that's the other like john hines said yes because no offense minnesota isn't exactly this luxury team that coaches i'm sure are, are crying for so i mean certainly some coaches have the right to choose and have the right to be picky because there are other teams that would be interested and i wonder if john hines kind of saw that maybe there wouldn't be that much more writing on the wall because the blues did it exactly what both of you ta- talked about they fired Bruby last night and then brought up their ahl head coach mm-hmm. from i think what springfield mm-hmm. as their as their coach but he's he's not going to be uh given the job so he gets the tag, and then the question becomes, you know, if if he does great, he probably gets the job like Dean did. If he doesn't do great, he probably goes back to the minor league team. So we'll see. All right, Jesse, great stuff. As always, fun. Uh, appreciate the updates from Wild Practice. Declan, uh, tell the people what they need to know before we see them next. I hit the subscribe button. Daily Minnesota Sports Entertainment. This is Judd's Hockey Show. Pass, shoot, score.